Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I was at dinner. I'm going to say it's not going to sound like a Craig Finn solo. I was at dinner with Craig Finn, but I was at dinner uh, with Craig uh, a couple months ago. Uh, my guests today are Tad Kubler and Craig Finn from The Hold Steady. And I said something off offhand to Craig. And when I said, after I said it for a while, I realized how true it was, which is that The Hold Steady are my last favorite band. Uh, because I think I was still in my early, early 40s. And I think it's really hard to find a band that you can fall in love with in the way it becomes this declarative thing, your favorite band, the band that means the most to you in the world and to care that much. And it's still the case that I, I since I became a Holt Steady fan, no, you know, I, I, I mean, in my life, it's like uh, it was Van Halen. Uh, you know, not counting the solo artists, right? It was Van Halen and then R.E.M. and then the Hold Steady. And as those bands dis- disappeared, uh, and you guys are still, I remember mourning it when when it seemed like it wasn't going to happen. And uh, you guys are the best band in the world. And I'm, I say it all the time. And so it's a, a thrill. The fact that we're friends is a great cherry on top thing, but the thing that you are together, the Hold Steady, is really incredible. So I'm so glad to get to talk to you on the eve of the release of your newest record, The Price of Progress. So thanks for being here. Thank you. You know, you're doing that intro. I was kind of thinking like like the one thing, the nice thing, we, we're, we're on our ninth album. We're on 20 years. And like we can be someone's favorite band because like, you know, if a band comes out with a really good record, you're like, I love this record, but you're never like, they're my favorite band, right? But like, you start to assemble yes. a catalog and you feel like you you could be someone's favorite band. It doesn't mean we deserve to be, but we we could be. Yeah, well, you were, I was 36 when your first album came out and I you weren't my favorite band then. I didn't, you know, it was really when Boys and Girls came out and uh, that's when I lost my mind, your third record. But I was still like late 30s, early 40s when, and, and, and Tad, you're responsible for one of the truly great sort of, rock and roll moments of my whole life which was you know we had dinner and you gave me these two songs and it was before you went in before you yeah and how did you get i remember you emailed us like via myspace or something like that right it was like way back then yeah 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 it was like boys and girls came out and somehow there were these like email addresses that you'd put somewhere i don't remember how i came across them but i felt like when i heard that album this thing which i want to talk to you guys about which is that people who are attracted who are drawn in to like the tommy knockers who are just drawn into what you do you get this incredible i got this moment of like this is everything i was looking for this you know at, at that time it was like rock and roll enough that it still felt like rock and roll and then it was words about everything i was thinking about but just twisted in a different way and better than i could say it and i was like i have to tell these guys i'm a fan and i hadn't probably written a fan letter in so many 20 years you know uh and i wrote notes to both of you guys and you each responded and then tad i forget how you and i ended up hooking up but well we you know spent a lot of time at that moment and you gave me uh, uh, ask her for some Adderall and Lord, I'm discouraged on a uh, in some way. I can't remember if it was a DAT or it was a CD, but you gave me that those two songs. It wasn't a DAT. Yeah, yeah, must have been a CD of those two songs. And then I remember the great. Mo- I freaked out, and then you said Adderall wasn't going to be on the record. 
<laughs> and I remember saying, like, you're insane. That's like one of your best songs. And you said, I swear, Brian. We hear that a lot. You go, I swear to you, this album, every song on this album is that good or better. And I was like, that's not possible. And then you sent me uh, the album. And I mean, it was like, that's the moment. You know, to me, that's still like one of the greatest albums ever made. And it, it rocked my world. Really was incredible because you set me up to be like, how the fuck do they leave this song off the album? <laughs> and then you hear those first five songs and you're just like, well, where would it fit? What would it replace? Yeah. You know. The Asker for Adderall, I feel like it's been a source of contention now for however many years it's been since we put out the record of why it isn't on the album. I think we hear, Craig, I'm sure you hear that a lot. People ask that, but at the same time, um, I don't know. Like, I remember it really coming down, at least to me, from from John and Yellow, who's producing the record. And he was like, hey, check it out. I made a sequence on this rec of this record, and I looked at it, and I said, looks pretty good. And then he was like, you'll notice Adderall isn't on it. And I looked closer, and I said, oh, you're right, it isn't. And he goes, you know, um, I think these are all better. I think it doesn't fit in this flow and I think you got plenty of songs about drugs already. And, um, and, I, and there is something to having a producer you trust that it's like, okay, I can go home and either like come up with 400, you know, versions of the sequence, or I can say, we have an outside ear who really has made some great records who we trust. Why don't I listen to them? And that's how this records was sequenced. I mean, I love that. And I love the fact that it was the right decision because as much as that is a song that I go back to again and again, and I fucking live for, I mean, I love that song. It doesn't really fit on the, you don't need, there's not a spot. I don't know, unless you added it, Tad, right? There's not a spot for it on that record. No, and there's, and we cover some similar ground, I, I think, with a couple of different songs on that record. And yeah, the, the thing, thing about John, which is so nice and, and I don't know if I did so as much at the time, but there's also still a lot of alcohol involved. But be going in and working with somebody that that you can kind of just let go of stuff and been like, hey, I, if you say so, you would know better than I would. Because um, I don't, you know, you think you kind of know, but you don't really because you don't have the perspective and you're too inside of it. And it just doesn't. And I don't think I realized that as much then as I do now. There's this great thing about when the Hold Steady is about, though, that's this story is so illustrative of, which is trusting in the, that other people have this really generous spirit toward you. Like that's part of the unified scene, right? Is having the ability to say, I'm gonna believe that what you're saying is gonna be in my best interest, that you love me <laughs> and the ideal of what I can be. And, and so as a story, it just ties into, I think the ideals that the band is built, is built on and that the relationship with the audience is built on. I think, you know, the, the, the craziest thing is we're, we're 20 years in and we've put together a book and um, that, that we're gonna announce soon. And, um, it's an oral history. And the craziest thing about this band to me is still going back to the start of it. We talked about wanting to be a band that, that, that meant something to people, you know, like to me, the best example is the clash, you know, Joe Strummer finding people to sleep on his hotel room, you know, or sneak them into the shows where they didn't have money and that their audience felt like they were part of something bigger than, you know, than an Aerosmith audience probably did where you just buy a ticket and go to the show I don't know how we did it exactly because I can't explain 
exactly what steps we did or if we even talked about steps, but somehow we ended up with like a community around this band that that is wildly unique in in rock and roll. I mean, I think people actually feel a part of it. Well, yeah, you anticipated me there. I had this question I was going to ask at the end, but like I wrote down as like a last kind of question, but I'm just going to throw it now, which is 20 years in, the band has become the only decent teacher for a bunch of other people. And I wonder about that full, that sort of full circle nature of it. You know, I think about the what you've meant to this group of people and what they mean to you. And there obviously are people who started listening to you when they were 12 who are in bands and doing this. And like this, are you kind of consciously aware of, I mean, the world's different now, so it's segmented off and it's hard to have the worldwide sort of impact of the clash, but within your world, you do have that kind of impact. And so I wonder, people care about the band in that way. And I was wondering like that, I'm so funny me you brought up Strummer in that way now, because that line has been resonating because you've been at this long enough to be the teacher. Uh, and so does that hit you ever, that notion? I mean, yeah, in different ways all the time. I mean, one is, I mean, at the shows, obviously, but then, you know, sometimes, uh, like the other day, I was just at a show, watching a show, and someone tapped me on the shoulder and introduced me, and he's in a band um, of some note now, and said, I just want to let you know, I've, I've been going to your show since I was a teenager, I've got my own band, we're signed to this label now, you know, you may have heard of us, etc. And it felt really cool. It felt really cool that, 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 that the, you know, there's, there's this thing and yeah, I mean, I'm 51 years old now. Some of my relationships feel avuncular, you know, like, like they're, you know, you, you get some of the people I know younger in bands ask for advice from time to time, not, not everyone. And that does, it feels good. It feels like the role we should have, I guess, you know, if you're going to be 20 years in, I, I would, I think that's a positive role versus the alternative, right? No, I, I do too. Com completely Tad. Like, what's it feel like now for you after all this time to look across the stage and see Craig and the guys? Like when you're at one of these shows, how does it, how does the whole thing hit you that, you know, after everything, there you are standing with Craig and Franz and Steve, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, you know, and, and to be honest, on stage, especially when performing, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't always had like there's sometimes especially you take the booze and the drugs out of it now yeah and it took me a long time to get comfortable playing you know because i never had done it before but sometimes i it's almost like it's harder to lose that self-awareness so you kind of have to go someplace in your mind a little bit but i i remember we were craig brought up the book uh that's coming out this year and looking through it and looking at all the pictures and kind of an oral history and all the interviews with everybody and reading through it, like just like a really kind of profound sense of gratitude that yes, not, not just that I got to do it, but that I got to do it with these guys. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Craig and I've been playing music together for going on 30 years. Well, 20, it would be, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess. Cause there were two years. 20, lived, yeah. So 25. You joined, yeah. You probably joined lifter polar in 98. So it's, let's say 25 yeah. years. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's certainly the longest relationship I've ever had, of course. you know, with anybody. Yes. And, you know, there's, it's just even sitting down and going through the photos with Craig and he's like, oh, this is a good one. And this is a good one it, that it, it's moments like that where I'm, I'm, I feel incredibly fortunate and lucky and grateful. It's like, 
oh yeah, I like, it doesn't really matter what I do with this guy. I enjoy doing it. And that's, I think a, a lot because of who he is. And I could say that for everybody else on stage too. You are, uh, you know, one of the great guitar players, man. You're the greatest writers of fucking riffs I've ever heard in my life. And people listen to this podcast know I'm, uh, I'm not just, I've, I've heard a lot of guitar <laughs> players who play riffs in my life. Like, you know, I'm, it's not, I'm just tossing that off. But yeah, you know, a lot of, as you know, a lot of people were worried about you for a long time. And, and you're, it's so great how long now and consistently you've been in this great headspace. But was it, like, talk a little bit about like learning how to do this in a different in a different way. I'm, it's just so inspiring to me that someone could do it. And like, gosh, it makes me so happy to like, to know well, like, you're yeah, in this I mean, place. But yeah. I think it makes everybody else fairly happy too. That, yeah. But, you know, it was tricky because, you know, the, the band started and we started to gain some momentum and felt like we had kind of established this identity for the band and this identity for myself. Um. And things are going well. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can't do that anymore. You can't participate or you can't, that's not your thing. And that was really, I think, tricky to figure out then, all right, well, then what's my contribution here? Um, you know, to just uh, other than, you know, just coming up with song ideas or, or whatever, because it becomes part of your identity. Uh, and I course. think it took me a, a long time to figure out how to get through that or how to navigate it um and honestly and i'm sure a lot of people would say the same thing looking back on it you know i have a, a few kind of regrets but for the most part like listen it was aw like we had some of the best nights out we had some of the best shows we had some of the best times it was great i'm not going to say that oh my god it was terrible and it was a disaster but you just have to like approach it a little differently and um it definitely i feel more present and i'm able to enjoy it more i think and i think yeah. that's the real that's the real blessing of it and i think i'm able to show up a little bit better i might have asked you this once but it was all too close and not all there so i gotta like but when that shit was happening and then you would hear because i as a fan so I, I was of a couple different minds i mean obviously like i was concerned about you but then and you know as a, a friend but then when I would hear the songs Craig would write about you, they were great songs. And uh, but I wonder for you know when I would write <laughs> so the songs about what, what what no. So I'm saying you know when he, I mean we ever you know when you would hear those lyrics, was it clear to you? Were you did it ever hit you in that way? Like oh these lines, this moment, um, causing you know and and now when you hear those songs, does do they hit you in a different way? Um, no, I mean, and I can be pretty um self-involved at times but i don't know that i ever thought that they were necessarily about me soft in the yeah. center would be one that you would think right you know and yeah. I mean, there's something about that like when I, I always thought soft in the center is is i mean it you know a pancreas right like yeah there's a, there's a soft spot you know and and you know that was that was that was a record that album really that like that album had a bunch of allusions i think to what was going yeah, on I mean, right yeah that that was a tough one yeah a lot of like, <laughs> that one was, yeah, that was a tough that, one. That one was ripped yeah. from the headlines. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that album yeah. really that's, we that's were, what i'm saying when i i remember that album that's kind of when craig and i started to become friends around then and i remember talking about it a little that was when you and i first got to know each other a little bit craig yeah. and uh i remember talking about that then so yeah yeah i mean you know as as always it's there's parts and then you make then you make something else up to make it a better song but you know there's definitely parts that are coming from right where we're living you know right what we're dealing with and look we those 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 sessions heaven is whenever uh were really tough we we shut down we like left the studio at one point you know like um and and it's funny because we reissued that record and i when i went back to it and because i was working a lot on whatever liner notes or whatever we were doing with it it's funny like on paper it's really it might be our funniest record it it doesn't come off played with much joy so like all the jokes kind of don't land but uh i kept thinking like this is funny i mean at least to my sense of humor a lot of it's funny yeah i mean this when sweet and it's you know sweet part of the city's on every play whenever i make someone a playlist of hold steady song sweet part of the city's on it every single time so the albums were for that song alone the albums you yeah, know, yeah yeah uh i think great and it all lands that in that song everything lands i think like all the lines yeah that's one of the highlights i mean that's one. i mean i you kind of vote uh you know, I make the set lists lately. The past few years, I've always made the set list, and you're kind of you end up voting on your own catalog a little bit. You know, what yes. I mean? When you start to write these set lists, like Sweet Part and The Weekenders, those are those are like, you know, those are classical steady songs to me. Wait, but Tad, are you saying that you never really put together in your head that a lot of that album was about you? I, I actually would. I would argue a lot. I would argue a lot. Because I, yeah. I think you're talking about no, I would argue songs. Yeah, a couple songs, a couple songs. Yeah, I would say, um, I would say, "Soft in the Center" is the one that comes to mind. I think a slight discomfort, um, which ends it, I think was more about something globally that was going on uh, with with all my friends inside and outside of the band. But it speaks to the love that I mean. I'm not asking for the. It's not a. It's more like. Um, for me, it was an expression of love as a fan of the band, not no like like uh, the idea of that. Yeah, this centerpiece song or whatever that there was this kind of love and hope uh, of of this thing turning around. It was touching to me as an as somebody, and and so that's why I was um, I'm saying it from that perspective, looking back, Tad. You know, it also feels when we look back on as a record that. You know, this classic 70s record where the band just starts singing about being on the road. It was like our lives had really become the band. And so like there was sort of the band was became the focus of the songs itself as well. Um, yes. Almost, you know? it, yeah. And I, I think, you know, with all the press that we did for, you know, boys and girls, especially uh, and then stay positive you know, either doing interviews with Craig or, or just hearing him do interviews when we were in the, in the truck or in the van, you know, he would, cause he obviously, you know, the questions about the lyrics and the stories are sort of nonstop and, and they're incredibly precise, you know, and he would say a lot like, Oh, you know, there isn't a wondering relationship with reality or with my life. And these are stories. And so that was kind of always the line that I was sort of like, if I would hear something, I mean, you know, there are certain lines or little pieces of, of songs that I'll hear and I'll sing, Oh, I remember that. 
Um, but I, awesome. I don't think, I don't think I was gonna even allow myself to think like, oh, he's talking about us or me or this. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that's interesting though is like as I get older, and so many of my friends at this age are writers. Like yes. I find that that that's just everyone, you know. It's like like Brian when we had dinner that last time. I was like minnows. You mentioned the bar minnows was mentioned in uh in yes. um billions, and you're like, oh, here's why. And I was like, oh, I thought there must be something, you know. <laughs> and like you can kind of see it. All my friends who are writers, Franz wrote a novel, and there was like a bunch of stuff in there. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. You know, so we yeah, all I was just someone. Things. Yeah, totally. I, well, that's because my our, our great friend and uh, Mike Harrop, who also works with us, uh, he's uh, uh, one of the owners of that bar and we wanted to salute the bar. And and um, he's a, uh, one of the executive producers of our show. He's worked with us since 2009 on stuff and a, just a great guy and loves a bar, man. And he that's that's, uh, you know, uh, his place. But yeah, it's always these these references and these these touch points. But but Tad. One thing that's always fascinating to me about great uh, partnerships like this, uh, specifically guitar player, lead singer. I know Franz writes, and I know Steve. So, but you know, m many of the songs of the Hold Steady originate here with, with you guys. You know, when you when you write Tad a, a, a riff uh, or a, a musical bed, even you know, a riff and and then into chorus, the whole thing you do, and then you're kind of handing this thing over. And it could have kind of felt or meant a certain thing to you. And then now it's flipped. Uh, what does that all feel, you know, made better or made different? Is it always like a, an amazing kind of surprise to you? Like, how does that, how does that well, feel to you? Yeah, a lot of times it is, you, you know, I think, but like, especially the way that we've been working for the last few records, you know, with Franz and Steve bringing material in as well, it more feels like, you know, there's all this stuff to choose from. And I think you want to try and inspire kind of Craig specifically, but also everybody to get excited about, you know, uh, whatever parts a song or whatever different parts I bring in. And so it's a, it, there's a little more work done, I think on the front end. Yeah. Yeah. Now for me, where you know, I think even talking about heaven is whenever, and I think Craig said this too, there was so, if you look at the re the re-release of that, there's like 19 or 20 songs on there. There was so much music mm -hmm. that was generated, but I think we could have spent a little more time developing it. <laughs> if, you know, I think if that, yeah. if that record like lacks for anything, and I think Craig said that. Um, so I think, you know, now it's just, it's, it's coming up with something that, but I'm always, I'm to be honest, I'm always surprised at what Craig responds to too. Like it, it's always, I'll, I'll, might, I might throw something out there that I, I don't necessarily think is going to be something that he'll like or, or want to work on, and then he's like, oh, that's great, and I'm, so I'm always kind of surprised to be honest. The the other thing that can happen, which does happen, especially now that we kind of work by remote a little more, where someone gives me a track, I'll like, you know, say, well, here's what I'm thinking, and. And someone will say like, oh, I, I sort of had the other part as the chorus. Oh, that's funny. And now you've made the verse into a chorus, you know, and, and you flipped them. I'm like, well, do you like it? Because, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just the way I hear it is not the way the person who wrote it heard it. Yeah. Like, I love this. This new album is really great. I'm so happy listening to it. It's a weird thing when your favorite band, forgetting knowing you guys, right? I, I 
It's a weird thing when your favorite band makes a record. You know, it's like you gotta really. I can't just fuck around with like I have to. I have to really do the thing. You know, um, I gotta take a long drive. Like you know, because it matters a lot to me. There is something that happened in the beginning when you were trying. It happens to all of us. Dave and I talk about this all the time. You know, the guys who wrote Rounders are not the guys who are sitting here. And we are, but we're not right because there was a there's a certain desperation at the beginning of a creative career when you're trying to forge this thing and decide if you're crazy or not. That need fuels a certain thing, right, in a certain way. And then inspiration comes from different spots as you grow. But, I mean, you did make four perfect albums in the beginning of your career, and then you've come back to making these incredible albums too. But how does it, does that ever hit you as a, is it daunting? Is it like, I don't get to say like for me, I do not get sick of it. People come up and talk about the first movie or some other thing. And I'm like completely um, understand why. Like I get it. I was thir- like they're 30 and I was 30. Like I get it. I completely get the thing. But but you guys made four albums that are like unto- kind of untouchable things. And I, I just wonder how you relate to that now when you go to create something. If it if it if you try, you know, because trying to measure against it would seem to me to be almost impossible. And I'm sure at the time you had no idea you were doing that. So, I mean, I'm interested to hear what Tad says, but I would say that I sort of see it as like three acts so so far. One is sort of the the, the first four period where we put out four records in five years. Then we had the sort of muddling through the the you yes. know the uh, the you know the um, the muddle. It's almost like a midlife crisis. Yeah. yeah, the midlife crisis where we sort of wandered in the desert for a while. And, you know, flailed a little bit. And uh, but like I said, there's also right, you know, like we say, there's sweet part and there's a weekend. There's, no, there's, there's great, spots. great, great songs in those spots. You know? Yes, of course. And then, and then there's and then there's this 3.0, which is like when, when Franz came back, we ended up being a six piece band. And then we started recording. We started working with Josh Kaufman, who I think really helped sort of put some stuff sonically help us put some stuff sonically in place and inspire us in the studio to make an maybe a new kind of record that was fitting for the people we were now. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I love working with Josh. I think I don't, I'm really happy that we made, you know, uh, kind of every record that we have, you know, especially looking back on it now, I can see even on some of the maybe times that it didn't, goes the way that maybe it should have or whatever you can see where it was trying to especially now looking at sort of where the band is but i don't uh, i definitely don't consider the previous stuff and i think a lot of that has to do with where we are now what the band is now and how we kind of operate now um and especially working with josh i think franz and i were talking about this recently where he he was like you're really diplomatic about the ideas you bring in because i'm kind of just like yeah whatever you know like switch it around or we can do this and i know making boys and girls and stay positive that's exactly how i was not like making decisions <laughs> you know it was almost strangling the life but it's got to be this way you know and now i'm like shit i don't know man i like you know and and josh is so great to work with because he comes from such a different place I should not a crazy different place but slightly different place aesthetically and I really like where stuff goes especially when I bring in 
a song or an idea that might be a little harder rock where it ends up is so great to see that kind of evolution. And that's, I really love that part of doing this. Yes. So, that, so to see, to, yeah, rather than to bring in an idea and say, all right, here, I wrote a song and this is how it goes. And this is, we're going to do this and let's record this. Just been like, Hey, I got a couple of ideas and you could do this. And what about this? And, and see everybody get involved. I was just looking through this discography and like I thought kind of crystallized that I hadn't had before, which is I guess the thing about the first, if thrashing through the passion would have been the fifth album, it would have contained like, like in a way that album yeah. is like the fifth in a weird way. Yeah. Sweet part of this is great. To, but that's like the fifth out al- in a certain way, because that album is fucking incredible. And it, it is like, I think part of what happens in those first four is wherever you hopped onto the train, you kind of couldn't believe the next record could be as good or or like better. And then those first four, each one, even though obviously the first two records are perfect, as I say, they're four perfect albums, but in a certain way, the thing deepened and grew and got bigger and more of what it was through the first four. And so as a fan, you were just like, oh my God, you know? And then, yeah, things got murky. Uh, and then things, tur- it, it, it turned out, because if I looked at the last, like, like th- you know, uh, you did Good Kid and Entitlement Crew in particular. They're just as good. Those are as good a song as the fucking you can make. Uh, and Denver Kid, the whole album is sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Entitlement Crew is 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 like. I mean, in our world, that's a hit, right? Yeah. Like, like I like think it's as good. That that's song a- we play that song in the audience, like. You know what I mean? Like, like you play certain songs and people. I mean, I think I played. How much of that song did Levine and I play on the show? Like so yeah. much of it. I mean, we played a lot of that song on on Billions with you guys. Like, you know, because it's just amazing that song. It's not. It's not healthy to like do this, but I do have this like timeline, like like alternate timeline where where like because when I when as Tad saying we recorded so much for Heaven is whenever, and as you're saying, you know, we kind of kept going up and almost just from Stay Positive. Like, like, like there wasn't, I don't know if we had it in like, like maybe there needed to be a pressure release. And yes. so I was thinking about the kind of records like um, Exile on Main Street, London Calling, um, even like the Big Thief record that came out last year. Oh, like, yeah. The, those records that that like aren't all just like, ten, you know, a sprawling thing that's not 10 songs designed to knock you out but maybe 20 songs that show you a lot of personality of the band and maybe they're not all hits, but they, you know, you have sweet Virginia in there and you have the, this sort of silly song. And I wonder if we would have done that, if we would have kind of taken some pressure off and been able to reset. Uh, Oh, that's really fascinating. That's yeah. That's an alternate reality thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, cause it, it, we would have lightened up like if we would have lightened it up a little bit um and then rather than trying to make but you know there's also weird pressures of people trying to tell you man you got to make a song that can get on the radio and yeah. whether or not you're even if you're like yeah whatever dude it gets in your mind and also there's you know there's bills to pay and 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 you know there's people who don't want to go back and get normal jobs and stuff like that so you're like i want to and that, and the second you start thinking like that, you're dead. 
No, of course you can. And I, I want to, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about bands that have done exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, obviously they became the single biggest band in the world, but after Joshua Tree, even if you didn't love as a fan, certain choices they made right in the shadow of that, but going and making the live thing and doing that BB, like that's exactly that thing where they just blew off steam and took the pressure off to come back and make those record, you know, Octung Baby, right? They, they kind of did, they made a shift and it's interesting, but I mean, no bands have had a very few bands have ever had a four run, four album run like you did. And I like this idea now, if in my head, that the fifth album is that record. It's like a way to think about it, where it then kind of the rocket ship took off again. Tad, how did when you write? Do you show all the music that you write to Craig and the band? Like, how do you know when a riff or an idea is like okay, that's a hold steady thing, or um, collecting that for something else? Like, how does that work for you? Uh, I mean, it, de- it depends on how fast I've been writing or how, or how, how much I've been working and writing sort of in between times. I mean, I kind of just r- write all the time. Sometimes it's not even necessarily for a specific thing or it's just I- getting ideas out. Um, yeah. A- and, you know, the funny, like Sideways Skull, uh, yes. initially. Which is um, awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Like, um Joby uh, Ford from the Bronx and I had always been talking about doing something. And then we're talking about having Walter play bass and, and I'm like, well, I'm going to write a bunch of songs for that. And I start, I wrote a handful of songs and one of those was that one. And then the Joby moved to Houston and the pandemic happened and all this. And so I had all this, I just had a bunch of music and that's what I was talking about when I thought like, Oh, I don't know that Craig would enjoy this. And I played in that. He's like, this is great. That's awesome. I was like, oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. Sometimes sometimes it's just like the pocket. Like it's like it reveals itself to me where I would put the words. And it, it's like the rest of it is like 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 that that that's sort of almost like something hits me right away. I I know where I put the words in this one. Oh, that uh, makes so much that, sense. And to that me. I would say that's the, probably one of the differences of what I think about when writing now, as opposed to some of the earlier stuff is uh, a little more space where other stuff can go specifically the story. Yes. Well, yeah. You guys created a thing that didn't exist before. That's which some, you know, the way that the kind of thing you write goes with the kind of thing that, that he writes like, nope, there are very few analogs to it. Exactly. Uh, you know, because of your influences and his and the way that they fuse it's uh and became this other thing that now yeah other people can write with you you and because you've inv- you guys invented it together the, the the two of you and now it makes sense that your band can can contribute uh craig how do you i was thinking about this thing once stephen king said where he said like if he and louis lamore looked at the same lake they would and saw the same set of events happen by the lake they would just go off and write two completely different stories about the same event. And it, I was thinking about how you, there's a central song on the latest Craig Finn album set in Colorado. And one of my favorite songs you've ever written in any context, messing with the setting. Um, and then there's this incredible song that opens this record. That's also set in Colorado. And Yet, and there was one on obviously, you know, Denver on the two albums ago for the whole city. But okay, you decide you're going to write about Denver. How do you know, or Colorado, two different cities in Colorado? 
How do you know, okay, this is a story that fits on a Craig Finn album. This is a story that fits on a Hold Steady album. Like, how does that come to be, that that kind of well, process? Well, two things. Almost on a Hold Steady record, I'm almost always writing to music that's been given me by Tad or Franz or Steve. So that in itself just becomes the Hold Steady. The music's usually bigger. So... I'm thinking of bigger stories, you know? I mean, I'm thinking like of of bigger landscapes, bigger things. Well, on the solo records, I'm usually writing to very simple chords that I've come up with. And the stories tend to be smaller, you know? Um, um, they tend to be one-on-one and they tend to be um, maybe a little more vulnerable and a little more um, possibly more personable, personal. But um, so you know, I, I'm sort of matching the 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 grandness of the hold steady music to the to the story. So bigger things happen. Colorado is to me like just like um, a very evocative place because of the mountains, also, but also because Denver is this. And we just did a, a three shows in Denver last year, and it's a gritty. It, there's an element of grittiness to, and it's a Western city. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So you're like in the city and you're looking in the mountains or the distance and you think about like the, I mean, Kerouac went there and like, you know, went in the saloons and all that. So it's like, as that Western thing, but also just the idea of like, people are either, you know, back in the day, I think either going back, coming back or going into the deeper West. So they're kind of like stocking up or they're spending their money or they're, you know, they're doing something. They're in this, pattern before they do something or after and i like that idea i like this i you know idea of maybe maybe they have a lot of cash because they went and did you know cattle stuff but i was thinking also that the solo stuff i don't know tad if you've noticed this but i think that the solo stuff then ends up having an effect on how you sometimes craig right like i think carlos is like a slightly different character sketch and world than many of the hold steady kind of things. Like it's it fits the hold steady completely, but I think you it's a kind of you're working a little more in miniature in a way. Yet it has music and it has the kind of references of the hold steady, but it still struck me as oh this is interesting. This is this is a guy Hopper going off and doing sketches and then realizing oh yeah this sketch that I could do here I could actually take this into. The other thing. That's what it felt like as a listener. I don't know if that occurred. I mean, to I you think it's there. like a Venn diagram, you know, like like where it was, it, it, you know, it's 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 meeting. And uh, Carlos is an example of something that's like, you know, it's a smaller story delivered at a pretty higher volume, maybe, you know. That's that's one of my favorite songs on the record. That Steve brought in the music for that, and I I remember all of us sitting in the control room when Craig was, I think maybe just putting down like a rough sort of uh like a rough vocal to it to kind of put some time in, in there and all of us were kind of like looking at each other like holy oh, shit awesome. what's going on here yeah it was really intense uh great that's a that's one of my favorites i love the sequence too how the you know we got we are the champions uh in the song before and then in this song you have this musical rap you know this song reference and how how the world of music is flowing you know through in a way uh you know, which I'm sure you noticed intentionally did it. Yeah. And, you know, like that song, you know, the Grand Junction, the opening song mentions Colorado. Carlos mentions Denver too. I mean, the, the other thing that that's kind of funny is that my family has completely left Minneapolis now. And so my sister moved, live, lives in Colorado. So 
somehow I have as many, more family in Colorado now than I do in Minneapolis, which is a weird thing for me as someone who's sunk so much about Minneapolis. And um, maybe that's one reason for the shift in, 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 in gaze. Another thing that occurred as I was listening to this record and thinking about the 20 years, and we sort of touched on it at the beginning, but I want to touch on it like kind of specifically, which is like more than in almost any band I can think of, the fans, the unified scene, the world of that are characters on the records in some way. Like the people you write about on the records could be the people listening to the records and then could be people who are your friends or who you were. And like, I'm wondering, like, this kind of exchange, this swirl where the fictive and the real worlds intermingle. And I definitely asked you this closer to the beginning of the band, like when we, you know, a long time ago. But I wonder, like, now how intentional it is and also what the ripple effects are, Craig, for you. Like, because now you've been writing about this world and this world has been encroaching on your, like, it's all this, the scene that you invented in your mind is this real thing. Uh and these characters that you invented are, you know, people dress like they dress like the, like it's all one thing now. And I just wonder how it all hit, how that um, hits you. It's funny. Um, there's a great example of this on the record where um, through the band I met and we all met a friend, Tom Lineman, who we call Touchdown Tommy. Um, he was a former college quarterback and he has this gag on Twitter that he takes a photo of when it's 4 a.m. of the clock and it says something like the hour that's neither late nor early. And <laughs> um, and and then in the fourth song on a record understudies, he says, at 4 a.m. is 4 a.m. the nighttime or the morning. And I'm like, I realized later I got that from Touchdown Tommy, who is a friend who I met through the band. It's the best and thing it's ever. Like, it's this thing that keeps going. And, you know, I mean, I've performed weddings for Hold Steady fans, like, you know, uh, and um, I've, we've, you know, some of these people have become my best friends, you know, or, you know, people have become huge parts of our world. And, you know, my brother-in-law has season tickets to the Vikings with Howard Roberts, who's from Leeds, England. They met because of the Hold Steady, and Howard's become a huge Vikings fan who flies over for some games. I mean, that's the and, best thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so it's it's so intertwined, and it's crazy. And then there's also, I mean, I just have to say, there's also people I meet in the bar, you know, at like you know, we do these shows in Brooklyn, we call Massive Nights, and somehow you'll miss, you'll meet someone, and you'll be like, and they'll be like, I've been to forty eight shows, and you're like. I've never met you before. Like you right. have quietly been to 48 shows and you have not made yourself known, um, which is also great. You know, I mean, like it's not, you, there, there's not time and energy to meet every person, but like it's become our lives. It's, it's, it's all intertwined at this point. Wait, did you guys tell touchdown Tommy before? Like, did you call or text him and go, Hey, is it cool if I throw your line on there? Or is he just going to no, get the record? Well, it, it's not the same line. So I know, I, no, I, you know I what I mean? Give, no, no, I'm not saying it like copyright purposes. I'm saying, did you tip your hat to the guy ahead of time or you're just going to let him hear put, it? I kind of just put this together. So I'm about to. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Right. Oh, you just realized. Yeah. He'll, he'll be more excited too. If he just hears it, probably. 
Yeah, that I'm wondering about that, you know? I mean, those things are aw- those things are the best. But yeah, so it is like one, like I guess what I'm asking about is like, what does it feel like when your imaginary world becomes your real world? That's really what I'm uh, uh, kind of asking you, Craig, you know? It feels for the most part pretty great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a dream come true on a lot of level. And, and I think as Tad said, there's a lot of gratitude for it. There is, um, you know, there is times where you're like, I didn't mean that, or I didn't, you know, I didn't mean you to, you know, like, 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 I mean, especially like I'm thinking separation Sunday, we're really kind of promoting the partying, you know, like we, I remember just, we'd meet guys at like five o'clock Oh yeah, and they'd be like, we're going to your show. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not right. because you're not going to make it until 10 PM. <laughs> you're going to be asleep you know, before you, and yeah. puking in a, uh, you'll be puking in yeah. the gutter. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, there, there's sometimes those kind of things um, where people are thinking some of the, uh, the uh, stories a little true, literally. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's really a blessing. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I I've said this on stage a lot, but during the pandemic, we did a uh, webcast, you know, a live stream um, at the Brooklyn bowl. And we, we did it um, to an empty Brooklyn bowl that we couldn't have an audience, but we did it and people could buy it. And, Within the room, they put up, we could see all these different monitors and people um, started holding up signs to where they're from, you know, and it would say Italy, Australia, California, Minnesota, Brooklyn, you know, Um, but, but this just widespread of people. And at the end of the show, you know, we do killer parties and there's all this noise happening. And I walked off the stage and out on the bowling alleys where all these monitors were. And the guy who was controlling it was flipping through them really fast. And it was one of the most, it was one of the most profound moments in my life, just to see all these faces in all their living rooms, all their spaces around the world tuned in. And it, it was really over- overwhelming. Yeah. We just, you know, Steve and I do like a feedback loop and then yes. walked off stage as if there's people watching, but then we just sat at the top of the lanes, you know, on the, all the bowling screens and they were just flipping through this thing. And it was just like, it was yeah, it was super emotional and 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 totally overwhelming. I was going to ask this question about this, which is that there are no um, I mean there might be some. This might be an exaggeration, but hardly. There are like no casual hold steady fans really. And I so I and yeah. I, I have to like wonder what it feels like because you have this bifurcated existence. It seems to me, which is like. You're literally in the best band in the world, and uh, and I'm not, and and like uh, uh, where people would fight to say that, like, uh, you know, I can't think of another band. I can't even really think of a parallel in any other, even in movies or anything, where like, basically everybody who engages with your band thinks you're the absolute. They're your, you're their favorite band, and they think you're the best band in the world. And there's a fuck ton of those people, and then, but also you're really anonymous to a lot of people. Yeah. And because you right, you're you're not like the biggest band in the world. You're the biggest band in the world to a group of people who are fanatical. I'm I'm among them and I connect with those people and uh you know, we're in a brotherhood and sisterhood. Like we're really connected. If you meet someone, if I meet someone who really knows the whole steady, I'm we're friends. Like it's immediate and we share something very deep. But I wonder where are you used like what the fuck does it feel like to sometimes walk into a room and you're Mick Jagger, not even where you're playing. Like, I'm sure you must sometimes walk into a bookstore and the person walking by, working behind the counter 
fucking loses their mind. And then other times you hand your credit card over to pay and it's just like, they just don't have any fucking idea who you are. So I just like, what is that? Is it weird? Or is it, you're just kind of like your life? Both. I'm interested in this from, from both of you guys, Tad, you want to take it first and then Craig will sum it up. It's be interesting. We were, you know, I, because I don't live in the city anymore. Um, I was, staying at the doing we were doing the brooklyn bowl shows this year staying at the hotel that's sort of next door and i think it was after the second night of the show um i got in the elevator with a bunch of people that were obviously at the show because we're all covering confetti (laughs) and there there were four other people in the elevator none of them knew who i was like what yeah yeah didn't know and that happens all the time craig and i can go out to shows together and, and, you know, they'll be like, oh, I love your band and this and that. And they, uh, you know, like, I don't look, it's probably because I'm wearing glasses and a hat and something like that. Like, I'm not, and also too, I'm not, I'm not the lead singer, but, but yeah, it's like, it's weird. I don't know. It, it's, you know, and I, I feel like, I, I think at least for me, I don't have as much perspective to compare it against, you know, I think Hold Steady, like the, the community around the band is so fantastic. But I also, you know, until you said that, it never occurred to me that that other bands don't have the same thing, you know, right. like 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 maybe maybe people feel that way about, you know, whatever the drive by truckers or well, I was going to the say there's no casual drive by truckers. Yeah. Well, no, but even DBT, like even DBT, I was thinking about it before. Right. There there's something of an analog, but actually there have been so many periods of DBT and they've changed like. Like there are definitely people who were fans of a period of them and now still check in. And I mean, I'm a huge, I love them, uh, the, but but it's different. Um, it's not exactly the same thing. There are people who love DB Tro- uh, Drive By Truckers and five other bands, uh, but I have never met anybody who I've been like, do you like to hold steady? And it's either literally they go, oh, I kind of have been meaning to check them out or I've, or it's holy fuck, yeah, they're my favorite band. Like, I, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. They're my favorite band. Craig, how does that whole thing hit hit, hit you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are definitely a small flame that burns very hot, you know? And uh, <laughs> um, I think it's, 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 it's yeah, I mean, you, you get in, sometimes you meet someone and it's like, um, I remember my sister was telling me about having a conversation with someone about the hold steady and the guy was so into it. And then she realized because she has her married name that he wouldn't know that she was my sister. And she said, I decided I couldn't tell him because uh, I didn't think he could handle it. Right. <laughs> and, um, and uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think there is that. I mean, it is weird because like, there's times you feel like awesome. And um, then there's times you go to like, I go to my partner's, you know, Christmas party and you're like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it because like, if they're not rock people, if they aren't, you know, like, and then they're like, so wait, so where, where do you play? And you, like, are you on Spotify? You know, and they're, you know, like, like, and, and it's very hard to explain that. Like there are bands that are not the Foo Fighters or the Red Hot Chili yeah. Peppers that, that still exist and, and have this economy and, and fan base that, that means a lot. And the one thing I, I always wonder like there's no way to do this study but i feel like there's for the size of bands we are massive amount of hold steady tattoos per fan you know that's what i'm talking about though it's like Like, yeah i'm not being yeah i mean i'm not being um hyperbolic when i'm i'm saying it like uh 
I think the percentage of people who listen to you where you are their favorite band is just incredibly high. And it's not like, yes, you, some little band in some city somewhere could have 20 people. You guys have hundreds, you know, you know, so many people, but yet it's this kind of self-selecting group, as you say, that isn't, um, isn't it's massive compared to maybe what you'd thought it would be, but it's not you too. Uh, it's not. Right. One, one part of the reason I think it burns super hot though is what we were talking about is the community. I mean, there's the music and all that, but like, you know, people who go to the shows and we know some of them, you know, they go and it's like, I went to Denver, I went to three shows and I met these people that came from California and we had an awesome weekend. And the way we're going to see each other is to go to Atlanta to the next group of shows. And so then they start talking and then you've got this community that exists alongside it, you know, with the band. Uh, but it's part of the fun and it's part of being, you know, maybe a Grateful Dead fan or a Fish fan. I was thinking about the dead a lot. And I was thinking know. about, I, I think you're just an Alabama getaway away from like that. But yeah, I, I, I was thinking about the dead and I, I was also thinking that it's never, it, this is a perfect entry point for people to get in because you have this like big catalog, but it's not too daunting. And because you can go back to the beginning, if you listen to this record, when it comes out in a few days and um, March 2nd, I think, and you, but there's a couple songs already online. And if you go back, um, you can really dive into this catalog and we've given you a roadmap, the first four, and then just, you can definitely check out the other two, but then then start back in, uh, you know, in, in 2019 um, for this incredible run. I, I just a couple more things. What did it mean to you both to finally get to do those Australia shows and to see the following you had there and to see the way that, those people reacted to you, you know, getting those dispatches from here and to pictures and little videos. It was, it was amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, amazing. So what, um, Tad, what did it feel like to you to get to go down there and finally do that? Well, we, I mean, we, the first time we were there was Craig helped me out here. 2005, six, but I mean, you know, these shows that were okay. canceled, I mean, these shows yeah, that yeah. were canceled, yeah. you know, well, it was, it was just, it was, you know, like, being able to to travel again, get on a plane and go play some shows. And Australia is. Have you have you been there? No, right? Amy and one of my kids, but I haven't okay. been able to get. It's it's like a, it's a really magical place, you know, for, for a, a lot of different reasons. And it, it's it's just wonderful being there. And then to travel that far and and again see the community that exists there, and have that many people come out and and ha and the, you know the shows were. Just, fun and amazing and yeah it's just it, they're very uh, and it doesn't matter if we're in chicago or brooklyn bowl in australia but every night i walk out on stage and i just think like who are all these people like do you guys know any i don't know any of these people do you guys know any of these people and it just seems crazy that they're there to you know like see the band and have a good time and and yeah it's nuts it really is uh, yeah I mean, I, I remember walking back from whatever I was doing before the show, walking towards the show, and some guy is obviously heading in the same direction. He's like, you know, mate, can I show you? And it was like, you know, he has got a hold steady tattoo on his forearm. And you're like, you know, I'm I'm halfway around the world, literally, and there's still guys, you know, putting this stuff on, you know, into their permanently on their body because of yes. this band. And we haven't been there for 10 years. 
as a, a last thing, I just want to tell you guys an image that I, Craig, you might know this. I might have mentioned it, but this is when you guys were playing the last shows in, I guess, December uh, mm-hmm. or November. Um, December. My my dad had just died, you know, and um, so I couldn't come out to the to the shows. But my kids, I mean, I'm about to honestly tear up, uh, which maybe will be a second time ever on the podcast. But Tad, I don't know if you like Sammy and Anna went out to the show. Um, Amy and I went up. I just couldn't. I had to leave the city. So we went upstate. It was like, I guess, a week and a half after my pop passed away. And uh, so my kids just went and, you know, they grew up with Stay Positive, the favorite album of the, the whole family. And they sent me videos. They woke me up in the middle of the night. Like, I guess you guys played um, Sequestered in Memphis, like at 11.30 or 12 or something like that, right? Real late in the show. And so I'm sleeping because I needed to sleep. And I, my phone's ringing, the FaceTime thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? And, I, and my kids just held my phone up. And it was just really beautiful. And uh, I'm so grateful you do what you do. Oh, man. That's a beautiful story. Yes. Um, uh, uh, I mean, these things are part of the band is being through um, part of being a band for 20 years is, is, you know, um, having that as part of a lot of the changes we've gone through. Tad and I have both lost our mothers and um, other band members have lost parents um, along the way. And, you know, certain audience members I know, too, and being part of um both the grief as well as the moments of elation is part of you know, being in a band uh, for this long. And I guess certainly one of the unforeseen things that you wouldn't think when you start a rock and roll band, but a beautiful part nonetheless. Well, yeah, the joyous thing of the continuation, you know, because like, yes, death and and you guys certainly have written about death a lot and your solo albums have yeah. a lot about death. But there was something about our family and the way we sing along to your songs. They're sing-along songs, as you say. To see my kids doing that and including me in it and seeing the whole audience because they, you know, they held the phone up and I saw you guys and, you know, Tad, every time I see you happy and healthy up there playing, it brings me joy. <laughs> and then they they showed, it's true, man, and then they, they showed um, the audience, you know, singing along and people with their shirts off and this moment of pure community and joy and togetherness um around what you do and i sat up in bed with amy and i was like well we did something right here with our family you know uh because my kids wanted to connect to me and tell me that even though my dad was gone like they were there and the whole steady was there and it was really special yeah yeah the kids at the shows will have kids of their own right you know yeah. I mean, that's it happened. I mean, it happened, right? Yeah, Tad, what, what were you going to say? Well, just, yeah, like all of the, obviously, you know, the community around the band and, and our own lives, and it's there are these milestones that everybody has in their personal lives. And I kind of, it's weird because they're they're all interwoven together. You know, like Murphy came to one of the, yeah. I'm an empty nester now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what? You yeah. know, like and and she came to the to the music hall show and got to meet a bunch of people. She met Howard and um she's talking to Nick and everything. And but you know, she this is she grew up around this and I think it's so 
uh, it's just what she knows. You know, Wait, I was going to ask you how study. she processes it because you brought her. She just stopped by for two seconds when you guys filmed that bit on Billions. And I was like, that's amazing because the last time I'd seen her was, you know, she was yeah. so tiny. But um, she must get a huge kick out of just this whole thing, how huh, when it comes together and it and Yeah. And, and she doesn't, you know, again, it's a perspective thing because that's just how she grew up around, you know, like they're the guys and and it's family. You know, this is her family, too. Well, okay, that's a great place to end on. You know why? Because that's exactly right. And that is what you've created is is this family. Unified scene is really just a, a cool way of saying this this family. And uh, that I'm so glad I get to be part of as a fan and a friend. So everyone go out there and listen to The Price of Progress, the new album by The Hold Steady. And then uh, go back and listen to the whole catalog. You don't have to get a tattoo. Like I don't have a tattoo. I'm never. It's never happened. I'm not getting. A, I'm not getting a hold steady tattoo. But I do wear the swag. So I, mm. I'll, I'll wear the. <laughs> I'll wear the sweatshirt. That's the most. That's as far as I can fucking go. I'm sorry. I don't have any tattoos either. So. Yeah, I just have uh, none. Tad, you do. You have. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. But you don't have a hold it's steady. Been a while. You don't have a hold steady tattoo. Oh. No. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. But no, not really. Um, All right. So I do my uh, my contractor brought me. Uh, he he has like a whole tattoo gun setup, and it's upstairs right now in my my kitchen. So I gotta I gotta get we gotta get that out. Maybe that'll be part. You of could the, have a hold steady tattoo by dusk. Yeah, just get the little yeah, insignia. Yeah. Just get the thing, not the words. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks a lot. Great talking to you Thanks, both. Brian. See you. Thank see you, you both. Great, be, great, be well. Great team. Thank you so much. Great. All right, to wait, see you. Thanks for having Bye, us. Guys.